Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. After the stress of a long day, cooking a nice meal can feel like absolutely the last thing you have the energy for. I have to admit, that's definitely me. Hands up. I just sort of forage in the fridge for anything that I can eat cold leftovers. Um, Michelin-starred chef Tom Carriage's new cookbook, though, could come in very handy. Real Life Recipes aims to fit into our busy days, so meals are one less thing to stress about. Tom certainly knows a thing or two about being busy, running the world's first two-star Michelin pub, the Hand and Flowers, and expanding to own restaurants in London and Manchester, also an events company, and keeping up his work as a food activist fighting child hunger in the UK with Marcus Rashford. He also has a new television series, Tom Carriage's Sunday Lunch, and he's here live in the studio with me right now. Tom, this is a rare treat because um, very few people come to see me in the studio anymore now that, you know, the days of Zoom are upon us. But not only have you come to see me, but you've brought me a box of what looked like the most delicious chocolate cookies ever, which I think I'm going to have to take home to my poorly son because, honestly, just one of those looks like it'll double my waistline in a minute. And well, it's the yeah. last thing I can afford to do as a middle-aged woman. Yeah, well, that is also the problem that they've got. They're quite Moorish as well. So one probably turns into two and then two turns into three and then your poor son will have none. We can't have that. We can't have that. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it all sellotaped up, but I'm very grateful for the gift. A pleasure. Very grateful for the gift. I'm worried about Sunday lunches, though. I'm going to talk to you about them first because... The new television series, Tom Carriage's Sunday Lunch. Yes. And I know that, like me, you really like a Sunday lunch. You think it's an important moment, a time to sit down, talk to your family. Are you ruining it by making a TV show about it? <laughs> well, I'm hoping that more people engage in the idea of it. So the TV show is out on Food Network, and it's, it's much more about... It, it, well, it embraces a lot of world cuisine. It has things like uh, pulled pork, Mexican dishes, Spanish-inspired dishes, um, but also covers those classics as well. And we see the, a Sunday lunch in this country as that roast dinner, don't we? Like, and then we all talk back about our favourite, you know, our mum's our mum's Sunday lunch is the best ever, you know, and everyone will say the same sort of thing. But actually, it, there's much more to that Sunday lunch, that connectivity about spending time with family and friends, uh, sitting down, even if it's just 
just for 10 or 15 minutes whilst you have that main course and you sit and eat something. Just connection with people and human beings, I think, is something that we recognise over the last couple of years that was something that was the one thing that um, was missing. You know, when we were all trapped in our homes, we could order meal kits, we could still buy booze, you could still do, you know, you could still buy the things that you essentially go out to do in terms of hospitality, but you don't get hospitality you don't get that warmth that connection to people and i think that sunday lunch and that what that's the one time of the week is the one vibe that you can try and get where as family and friends you can sit down and you've got that just that little bit more time to try and make something Absolutely. And I do also think, I mean, you're talking about, you know, your mum's recipe for Sunday lunch was the best. But there's there's lots of kids out there, families out there for whom, you know, roast beef and roast potatoes or whatever isn't the standard food fare. And I'd quite love to know what other uh, nations have for Sunday lunch. Uh, What's the best one next to the Great British Sunday lunch that you've uncovered? Well, actually, one of the best dishes we did was this kind of like pulled beef dish, a little bit like pulled pork, but it was like slow cooked chilli style with dried Mexican chillies through it. And it was just so beautiful, so delicious. Tacos, the idea of serving that with it, but having time to make a pudding, all those sort of things work really, really well. And, And they touched so many different bases about flavors and what people can have and what they can try and yeah you're right i mean you know we're, we're a wonderfully beautifully culturally rich diverse country now that it's not just about yorkshire puddings anymore there's a lot more to it though if you look at my husband and talk to him he'll tell you it's all about yorkshire puddings he orders <laughs> four people's worth if you go to a restaurant it's really really embarrassing does he He's have it with turkey on christmas day though? He, he has them with anything everything is yeah. he them sweet Sweet puddings. Have you not had Yorkshire pudding as a pudding? No. Oh, this is this will be a new one. Then you'll get in a good. But imagine it. So the French <laughs> do a dish called clafouti, which yeah. is essentially a Yorkshire pudding, which kind of with, with some sugar through it that's then baked, and it has cherries through it or apricots or something like that. But actually, you know, and there's a great Yorkshire chef called Andrew Pern who's got the star at Harem. It's being rebuilt. Sadly, it burnt down. Um, but a brilliant Michelin star cook who is from Yorkshire, all about Yorkshire produce, and does wonderfully sweet Yorkshire puddings with clotted cream and strawberries. And the idea of it and dusted with sugar is just amazing. Try that one. That is a very interesting idea. Now, probably that's not what I'm going to be getting out of real life <laughs> recipes, though, is it? Because you're trying to make my life simpler, no? Exactly. It's about making it simpler. So this is. But a... you're a Michelin star chef. Doesn't it just go completely against the grain? No. I, well, no. In terms of profession. Listen, we, we run the Hand of Flowers. It's a two mission star pub. And, you know, it's all about the finest and the best quality projects you can find. And it's about people being professional at the top of their skill set, what they can do across the board, whether it's chefs, whether it's front of house, whether it's the knowledge of wine, whether it's the rooms that people stay in in terms of interior design. This is something that is trying to be the best in hospitality and get it correct. However, when I'm at home, my life is very different. And you mentioned the kind of food work that we've done raising awareness with Marcus Rashford. And it's very apparent that, you know, my world has been around about food for well over 30 years now. And, you know, when you find yourself in the media and you find yourself with a voice and you find yourself with, with, with um, you can have a point of purpose and you can try and get um, uh, messages across, particularly around the food world, um, uh, to people that can listen. Because my f- life isn't all just about the two mission stars. There's much more to it. We do food festivals. We do, and also the restaurants. They're different. They're different price points. They're different variations. So when you come to kind of creating or working with people like Marcus and that, the full time meals campaign that's ongoing and running, that you know reach, reaches reaches, it has had millions and millions of views on YouTube and, and Instagram and Facebook. In terms 
terms of connecting with those videos that trying to raise um, the awareness of the healthy start vouchers, trying to make sure that, you know, the idea, the mantra is that no child should go to bed hungry. And doing the work with that, it kind of like stretches a little bit more that this book then suddenly becomes, it, it's much more than just a particular demographic of people. It's everybody. It's a toolkit though, isn't it? Exactly that. And also our lives when, you know, when you talk about, you know, you're on television and you, and you, and you're in the media and then, you know, when you watch, you watch TV and when we watch television and you cookery shows on home on a Tuesday night on the television and, they're almost there as an escapism. They're aspirational. You're looking at, I don't know, what Nigella's got in her kitchen or Jamie's beautiful outdoor barbecue at the back door, you know, and those sort of things. And you aspire to that. You want that in your home. It's almost, it's escapism from the reality of what is possibly your life. And you go, okay, because when we come in from work at 6.30, 7 o'clock at night and people are hungry and you open the door and your you kids think, are going, oh, what's for tea, what mum? Exactly. <laughs> so the reality of it, and how many people do themselves a starter on a Wednesday, starting a main course and a pudding? No one, you do, right, we're going to have a bowl of pasta, what are we going to have with it? You know, those are the realities of life, myself included. Professionally, Michelin star chef at home, still a dad, still got to open a cupboard and still got to find what's there to cook for a little person. Yeah, absolutely. And they are, as you say, two completely different disciplines in a way. Uh, can we talk a little bit about, about you and growing up and, and when your interest in food started? Because I, I don't think you were being uh, treated to haute cuisine uh, in childhood and that was no fault of your hardworking mums. No, that's it. It's very true. I, I grew up uh, in Gloucester, in the centre of Gloucester, um, single parent family. So my mum and dad split up when I was quite young, when I was 11 years old. And my mum brought myself and my brother up and we were you know we never not felt loved or missed out on anything and food but food was never the biggest part of our lives it wasn't um you know it was I'm a child of the 80s so it was fish finger sandwiches and potato waffles and crispy pancakes those sort of things you know? delicious quite T- frankly. absolutely yeah oxtail soup and tinned ravioli I mean it was you know it built a nation of people Smash. It's, yeah it's stunning <laughs> but those are the kind of food that I grew up with um and it's funny, you mentioned the Sunday lunch thing. Now, the Sunday lunch was a period that was probably the only real meal that my mum would cook during the week. And she was great at it. But I used to go to rugby training on a Sunday and then come back. Um, and quite often I'd bring the waifs and strays and the other, some of the other kids that had been playing rugby. And my mum would have wrote, done a proper roast in terms of roast potatoes, carrots, peas, broccoli, maybe a Yorkshire pudding, who knows. But the roast, the joint, because the money wasn't there. We didn't have ribs of beef and we didn't have, you know, four quarters of lamb or, or whatever. My mum used to get these um, sausage meat rolls from the supermarket that was obviously there to make sausage. But she'd just take them out of the wrapper and roast it like a joint. So we would have this kind of roasted sausage. Me. So but you'd have the amazing. ritual, wouldn't you? Exactly. The slicing exactly. and the pulling yeah. out of the oven on the The crispy tray. ends, like people want the end bit of a bit of beef. The same sort of thing, but it was sausage meat. And you wouldn't think anything of it. As a kid, you'd just think, yeah, this is lush. It's Sunday lunch. It's a piece of meat, in inverted commas, with the veg and everything else that goes with it. So that connection of Sunday lunch was, was amazing there. But there was no real connection. I, wasn't, I didn't have a drive at that point to be a chef. It wasn't anything I wanted to be. I ended up going into a kitchen when I was 18 years old, needing money, washing up. So, And there was just the excitement, the the energy that is created in kitchens or in hospitality in those spaces, the the late nights, the understanding that it was slightly left field. Everybody else that I was, went to school with had, you know, nine to five jobs, kind of. Actually, my two best mates didn't. One of them went off to drama college and the other one was a professional uh, rugby player. However, the rest, the rest of my, of the rest <laughs> of my, or, you know, were pretty much, I don't know whether they were working on building sites or working in one of the factories or working in offices. It was just felt slightly 
completely different, a left field way of life. And it was so exciting for me. It grabbed, I was so lucky. Not many people at an 18 year old find the, the world that they want to be in. And none of it was about um, money. It was all about, this is a life that I want to have. This is where I want to go. And hospitality is the most exciting. If, you, if there's people out there that are questioning where they want to go, you've got to remember that most people, pretty much everybody our age has worked in hospitality. Many people My have worked... My favourite job as a waitress. Exactly. Worked as a waitress, worked behind a bar when you're at university, you know, connect, worked in a kitchen washing up, did something somewhere part-time. Because hospitality is it's kind of like at the forefront and the grounding of so many different people's life skills is young people learn so much about leaving school, going into working somewhere in hospitality, where they then have a connection to another human being for the first time properly in a professional basis. And now whether that's a guest or whether that's working within a workforce, and it might not be the career that they choose to go on to. They're going to be, I don't know, doctor, dentist, lawyer, whatever, radio presenter. But it's where you learn about the benefit of hard work as well, isn't it? And, and you know, uh, yeah, I think and learn to integrate with people. You, you seemingly uh, perhaps embraced it rather too um, enthusiastically. Uh, but, but I'm not surprised, actually, listening to you describe it, because it, what, you, what you sort of set up the idea of is this kind of adrenaline-fueled kind of, yeah, as you said, left-field existence where you feel apart from the kind of normal cut and thrust of, of, of working life. And and it also, does it feel a bit naughty? I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, those are exactly that. It, it is. It's exciting. It's an incredible... You've got to remember that if you work in a pub, club or a bar or a restaurant, you're in that environment where you're creating something where people go to to escape necessarily some people the 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 realities or the mundane they work so that they can go out actually you're already in that going out process you're just a part of it your work is in them going out so you're straight away into this good time vibe and you're working incredibly hard and kitchens you have two deadlines every day you have lunch and dinner you've got to be ready for and you get you can't not miss that you can't not be ready for lunch you have to have that ready so there's adrenaline fueled you're right there's an excitement there's a, a buzz there's a tension and you have to push yourself and you know I love working hard there's nothing wrong with working hard you work hard you know that you get a buzz off it don't you at the end of the day when you've done a, a hard day's graph there's a sense of satisfaction a sense of you, you've completed something achievement ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me Kiki Palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Tom, you have talked very convincingly, very persuasively about all the wonderful things about the hospitality business, mm. but you've also been really open uh, about the pressures that that 
business had on you or that lifestyle had on you. And at one point you were living an incredibly unhealthy lifestyle, drinking excessively, eating unhealthily, I think reaching a weight of nearly 13 stone, 15 pints a day. Yeah. Can that be true? That's a lot of liquid. It's a lot of liquid. Yeah. But I was up a lot during the night for going for a wee. But yeah, I was, I was fully excessive. Everything I do in life, I do 100%. I do it excessively. But how did you manage to do your job living like that? Or or is that, I don't know, is that just part of it? Well, yeah, well, it's just part of it for me. I was able to achieve and cope. I didn't drink until at the end of night, at the end of service, but then I would drink incredibly heavily until the early hours, and then I'd be back in at work at 7, 7.30 in the morning. It was, it was a big part of my lifestyle, but it was also, I wouldn't change a single minute of it. I loved every single minute. I loved the chaos that was caused. I loved all the... Uh, I lo- I'm attracted to kind of uh, uh, the unknown, the chaotic. The I was always attracted to those kind of mates and kids at school that they they look like the most fun. I love I love living a life, but I did get to a point where I was approaching forty and just thought this is, you know, there's only got one end in here, and it ain't necessarily a great one. So I did have to make a conscious decision of changing. So yeah, I stopped drinking um, nearly nine years now. So uh, yeah, I've not had a drink in nine years. I've t- suddenly turned into the most boring. Uh, uh, uninspiring beige kind of human being you can find but that's just not true is it yet that (laughs) is the thing i think that that stops a lot of people being able to give up drinking is that is that fear that they're going to be you know not the person the larger than life person that they were what what do you think was driving your sense that you needed to perform like that do you think that having come from you know, what was a, a difficult, impoverished childhood that somehow there was a kind of, no, I'm big, I'm huge, I'm I'm loud, I'm... No, I see, I've always been, from a very young age, very comfortable in my own skin. I've always been very happy walking into a room of people, having a conversation, irrespective of who they are. Like, you know, and I've been very lucky in my life that you've met so many different inspiring and incredible figures and never been intimidated or unnerved by them. And that and that's come from something that I think, you know, from an early age, from a mum telling us that, you know, you just everyone's just a normal person, just say, you know, people achieve greatness in what they do through hard work, through determination, through a skill set, through being... Um, making, you know, be, having a positive mindset and an outset and achieving something in life. You, but you, but you, rarely on 15 pints a night. No, that, I was, yeah, but I, I also wanted to be very good at that. So I was very good at cooking, very good at making that restaurant work, um, but also very, very good. At, I was an Olympic champion in beer drinking. And the two of them combined, one was the release of the other. So when you open a business, I open a business as a 31-year-old person and, and you go, you know, that, that's quite a young age to take that responsibility on with staff, with people, and then trying to drive and connect to cooking to a particular level. We want a mission star within 10 months. Um, we went on to be the first pub to win two mission stars um, five or six years later. And you just keep going on this drive to get better every single day. And the pressures that running a business has is, is immense and huge. And we've been there over 18 years now and the ups and downs. And you can see, you know, the last two years have been really bad. The next couple of years may be really bumpy. You know, there's lots of things in the road, but the, the release of those pressures was something that was always needed. And for me, I find it through alcohol and, you know, to, and I, I don't regret a single minute of it because if I didn't have that release, I don't think we'd have been able to drive to where we were going. Yeah. So I as understand. a business, it, it's kind of goes full circle. And then there's a point where you go, okay, I'll stop it now. I won't do anything else. But that also comes with age as well. I think you, you, there's a recognition, a self-recognition for, for when you, uh, when you hit 40, there is a point, I think, where you start going, you reflect on your life, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
take some people a bit longer than that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you mentioned, you know, the pressures of what you do, and I don't think there's been a more difficult period in hospitality for a very long time. You know, first the pandemic, but now, you know, all of a sudden facing perhaps even greater challenges. I know you said you you relish a challenge, um, but we've been hearing stories of, you know, landlords' energy costs rising from about 13000 a year to £35,000. Um, and it's not just energy costs, is it? It's food costs, it's everything. I don't want to depress you. No, you're no, sitting no, no, here don't believe me. me. They're, but, they're real but, issues. But, yeah. but, 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 you know, as someone who's trying to run businesses here in the UK, do, what, what do you sort of ascribe some of these issues to? And, and how do you think... Um, we're best to get out of them. So there's a number of points here that, that are massive. There's, there's first and foremost from the pandemic, many businesses are now sat with a huge debt burden from taking on some of the loans to be able to exist to just to get to be able to reopen. Many hospitality businesses paid their staff 80% of their wage, irrespective of whether it is up to the to the furlough scheme uh, percentage or not. They, they, you know, if they earn £40,000 a year, £60,000 a year, whatever it may be, many hospitality businesses paid their staff 80% of that wage, mm. which comes out of their own pocket. And the furlough scheme was fantastic for staff, but actually there were still things, there was business rates relief, but many businesses didn't have um, uh, landlords that were uh, as understanding, that still demanded rent, even though you were unable to trade. So lots of hospitality businesses have taken on a huge debt burden and now trying to recuperate and coming back, coming back. There's a workforce. There's almost half a million people from hospitality that aren't in that workforce anymore. Um, there's the increase. Obviously, uh, there's a huge issue regarding uh, produce, um, import and export of produce, which drives costs up. There's an increase in uh, EU standards that we are now not abiding to, that we don't have to, to try and drive British standards higher, which is incredible. Um, however, to drive standards up, that comes at a cost. So that all of a sudden, British farming is now becoming very expensive. To then take British produce is great. We then are doing trade deals with uh, Australia, New Zealand, India, where produce um, doesn't have to have the same standards um, as the EU, which can be substandard to what it used to be. So then all of a sudden, that, that puts different pressures on the business because then people start buying cheap. So British farming gets squeezed that way. And all of these are costs that come in and now you mentioned the utilities you mentioned somebody there whose prices i mean I, there was pubs yesterday there was a whole survey coming out of pubs that seven out of ten pubs will probably be shutting unless something is done because those utility bills have become have gone so sky high skyrocketed one of my businesses i'll give you an example has had an increase of 600 percent in its first quote for its fuel bill so it's an 600 600 it's got well it's gone from five thousand pounds a month to be in the new quote um, coming through into December is £35,000 a month. And you go, well, that is just unsustainable. That's a business, you know, and, and this is not just my business. This is everybody's business across board. So there, there is going to be a massive, um, a huge problem unless there are things that are done about this. A lot of the things that you said, aside from obviously energy costs, a lot of the things that you talked about there relate back to our decision to leave the European Union. Are you surprised that the B word, Brexit, yeah. isn't mentioned more often when it comes to the sort of challenges that businesses, particularly in the hospitality business, I have to say, but I'm sure there are there are many others. I I'm mean, I know it's been very difficult in the entertainment business as yeah, well, people I, touring I'm, and things. That... Yeah, entertainment, festivals, anything to do with people connecting with each other, it's massive. Uh, yeah, surprised and horrified that Brexit is not 
talked about because for my business, for my for hospitality, there isn't a single positive about it. There is not one good thing about Brexit. Now, I can understand why some people would have voted for it. I can understand how maybe some businesses benefit from it. But for hospitality, there is not a single gain from it. Not one. Um, I, I mean, I'll put my heart out there and say, listen, I was all about remaining. I was all about being part of the, the EU. I'm all about I feel that connectivity to to people as a collective is a much better way of moving forward and working together on a bigger picture. But for hospitality, it's awful. And and the mantra of saying getting Brexit done, I mean, that's just a sentence. We haven't got anything done. What we've done is created something that's a lot worse. Um, And until we admit it, this is the thing that I find difficult to deal with. Listen, I was a Remainer, but I understand we're not going back. There is no going back. There isn't another referendum to take us back into Europe. We are now out of Europe. Brexit has been done. It's there. That's where it's at. But just saying we've got it done doesn't solve the crisis or the problems in front of us. You know, I was the first one. We're the first ones in our business. If you make a mistake in a kitchen, you put your hand up and you say, something's gone wrong, chef. I need to... Because we have to be able to solve that before it goes to the guests and do whatever it is. Yeah, and often it's visible. And it's visible. Yeah, so this... We can clearly see that things are not working. We can clearly see there's a workforce issue. We can clearly see there's an import and export issue. We can clearly see that there's a problem with utilities. We can clearly see that there's so many different things that are affecting so many different businesses. But until we say... This isn't right. We need to solve it. I get it. We're not going back. It's fine. But until we say these are the problems that Brexit is causing, how do we face up to them and get them right so that we can exist? Until politicians go, there is an issue here. We need to solve this. We're not going to move anywhere. Just finally, Tom, I want to talk to you about your work with Marcus Rashford, because, again, you know, as we face this cost of living crisis, the energy bills and everything else, you know, the the, the innocent victims are going to be children up and down the country, again, without enough to eat. You know, food banks, I think, have proliferated in the time since the pandemic. You know, what are your concerns about the next, you know, upcoming months and next year? It's absolutely terrifying. You're right. Food banks, there's more food banks now in this country than there are McDonald's. The use of them is absolutely huge. And this isn't people who are just claiming some form of benefit that have to then use food banks. These are people that have maybe one, two, even three jobs that are still having to use food banks to, to feed their families, to make ends meet. Um, it's absolutely terrifying. I visited one the other week um, in Harrow that was just an absolutely outstanding food bank. It feeds 14,000 people per week and it's been set up. It was such an incredible, professionally run, outstanding, wonderful machine that I was so amazed and blown away by how good it was, but also also moved to tears and horrified that these people have to be this good at making this professional thing. It wasn't just being like half run, like a charity kind of like uh, bring and buy yeah, sale like somewhere in the church. It was a, yeah, it was something bank. that was so massive and it's absolutely terrifying. The fact that, you know, again, the poorest will always be the ones that actually come under more pressure. Uh, you know, trying to make ends meet is absolutely terrifying. So the government have to grab a hold of what's going on right now, have an understanding of it. You know, the, the free school meals issue, you know, I, and I know we talk about trying to make sure that yes maybe we'll put it through into benefits we're trying to change the tax system we're trying none of that works what we need to do is ensure that free school meals are met all the time kids should be eating free throughout the summer holidays throughout the throughout the half-term break should be a, a meal should be provided because then at least then we know it's getting done and the problem with that is a lot of local authorities of food has gone out to profit-making organizations so and the moment those profit organizations 
we just talked briefly about food costs going up. So where they're given a very small budget to feed a child, now all of a sudden those budgets, they haven't increased. So they're now getting squeezed. So profit-making organisations are still going to want to make a profit. This is, I mean, this is somewhere where... It's less meals or it's less nutritious meals. Exactly. Um, I guess just finally, uh, have you got a message for the new prime minister? You've got plenty to say on plenty of topics. I've got so many different things to say. Yeah, I'd love to see. I'd love to invite them for lunch and have a right good chat with them. But first and foremost, we do have to look at the people that are facing uh, the most financial difficulties here. Like this isn't a case of uh, of. Everybody is going to be affected by this, but actually the guys that are there that are in the areas that are the most deprived, those are the ones that we really need to focus on. Real, They're having to make proper decisions and real decisions between food and fuel. And that is, you know, the basic rights of being able to be warm and eat something is something that this government needs to focus on. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4, on Times Radio. Catch you next time. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 